0: Welcome to the Athlete Plus Network. It's the official podcast network of the Institute of Coaching Excellence, a research and educational outreach center in the College of Health and Human Performance at the University of Florida. I'm Kevin Carr, CEO, of Pro to CEO and industry professor at UF, and I serve as the host of the Hit Show, stands for How I Transition Podcast. The hit show is a podcast devoted to talking to current and former athletes on and off the field court track or diamond and the excellent people behind the scenes who support elite athletes, the coaches, the teams, the organizations and their stories to educate everyone, all listeners and advance the profession of sports and business today. We're delighted to bring you a amazing show with my dear friend. Absolutely. Today's guest is no one other than Tracy Ellis Ward, Senior Vice President of DEI, Diversity, Quality, and Inclusion at Pacer Sports and Entertainment. Yes, Racetown USA is in the building. Tracy brings us a plethora of experience in her career. She is a former Student athlete, yes, she's a baller, ladies and gentlemen. She played at the University of Missouri. She's an All-American, she won't tell you. She's very presumptuous, little low-key about her career. I'm going to blow it up here. She went on to get her master's at the Ohio University. Yes, you thought I was going to say the other one. Nope, this is the one. This is actually the one that has one of the top sports management programs, if not the top in the country. I know Tracy will correct me on that once we get started here. From her career start, she had many stops, excellent stops along the way. So many to name, but I'll drop a few on you. Michigan State University, where we actually first met, where she was assistant athletics director. Then she moved on to the WNBA. Yes, the W, senior director of basketball operations at the, in New York City, mind you. Then she moved into position with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes as a New York City area director, vice president from there of Director of Women's Basketball at the Sports Leadership Ministries at the NBC camps. Then she went on to be Director of Unity Multicultural Education at Gonzaga University. And then from there, Senior Associate Director of Athletics and Internal Operations at University of Massachusetts Lowell. And then got a huge appointment as with the Big East Conference and served in several executive level positions, which included women's basketball oversight, and more and more in there. She went from there to now, where she holds the title of SBP of DEI at Pacers Sports Entertainment. Whew. Yes, we have a powerhouse here. Please welcome to the hit show, Tracy Ellis Ward. Welcome to the show, Tracy.
1: Thank you so much, Kevin, for having me. I'm delighted to be here today and to share some of my experiences. And hopefully, the listeners will glean a little bit of motivation and takeaways uh, for themselves.
0: Well, listen, you have totally motivated me over the years, so they're going to get something out of that, out of this conversation today. And that's what it's about, the his show. It's about the breaking down the art and science of people's transitions and how they make what they do it may look easy from the outside, but it really isn't. So our first question for our guest is, who is Tracy Ellis Ward?
1: How much time do we have? no. <laughs> At uh, the basic level, I am someone who loves challenges in life, a rooted mom who loves her young adult children, and a woman of strong faith. I wouldn't be where I am without God on my side. And so I recognize the importance of of his guidance on every step of the way personally and in my career.
0: That's awesome. Talk to us a little bit about You came up as a student athlete and a lot of people obviously have not seen or, you know, really know that side of you. Take us inside. You literally was one of the best players in the country. How did you get into basketball? And when did you know like you could truly play and get a scholarship and, and really go to that high level in basketball? Because you played slightly before the WNBA. I think you could have made a comeback and got in it, but talk to us about your basketball career.
1: Well, yeah, believe it or not, I lived vicariously through all the older players in the league at that time. It's like, man, that could have been me. But I was just very grateful to have that experience and see that league come to life. But I got a basketball start really what people would consider nowadays probably a late start. I didn't start playing until seventh grade. I played all kinds of sports growing up. I ran track. I played volleyball, played softball. I was actually an excellent softball player until I broke my nose and and then transition to, to more indoor sports. Back in the day, girls basketball was just starting to come on, you know, to gain more popularity. And I remember just some single digit games, uh, you know, 12 point games versus 20 point games, that kind of thing. And so, we, you know, we weren't very good back in the day. Then in high school, everybody kept saying, you're going to make varsity. And I had no idea what that meant, right? Like, what's varsity versus being on the uh, reserve team? And because I was so tall, I was indeed on varsity, and um just really excelled at the game naturally, and ended up being all city, my freshman and sophomore year. so from there on, I really started to kind of lean in and go to camps in the summer and just really perfected my game and uh played a lot with guys i you know a lot of my friends were guys growing up and just hanging out at the basketball courts at the parks and and just playing the game uh with really no intense You know, one-on-one coaches and that kind of thing. That sometimes people have. You hear about, you know, these shooting, shooting coaches and going to the big man's Mm. camps and things like that. For me, it came very, very natural. My dad actually built us a glass backboard uh, for our driveway. He actually built.
0: He built one. He built
1: it. He made it with his bare hands, and so we were the go-to house to play hoops. Uh, because we had the best basketball uh, uh, rim uh, in the neighborhood, so that's how I got my start in Dayton, Ohio.
0: Awesome. Um, I would say you thought about playing pro. Like, give, give, give us give us a little bit of that. Like, where did you end up in your college career, and what are any? thoughts of even going international or anything?
1: Um, I actually ended up going to University of Missouri about eight hours from home and had a really great experience there. I thought um, really there was no opportunity pro-wise after I graduated. Most players went overseas um, after they graduated if they wanted to continue their career. My body was just really so beat up um, after my senior year. Um, I think I played probably half the season with you know fractured rib and a broken finger. So uh, it, was, uh, it was time for me to kind of step back from the game, and I just had to make a personal decision to pursue some other things um, after I graduated. But um, even now, there's still these stipulations on how many Americans can be on um, the international team. So that again, that makes it a little bit more challenging, particularly if you don't speak another language. Uh, and I had a lot of teammates that went overseas over the years, but it can be a lonely experience. But I highly recommend it if people have the opportunity to pursue that, because just to be immersed in another culture um, and do the thing that you love, even if you only do it for one year or two years, um, if I had to do it all over again, I might have pushed myself uh, to do it.
0: Absolutely. you know, Abroad, playing abroad or just, you know, getting the opportunity to go somewhere else and live and see the world is truly an experience that you don't often get, especially to do as a young person without. Things like family or anything to depend on. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a huge opportunity. Let's talk about you have made some really great stops along your career. Take us through how do you go from you were in graduate school, finished at Ohio University, and then you got these amazing appointments along the way, Michigan State. Then you were able to go to the WNBA, and then you went back into university at Gonzaga, and then you go back into collegiate athletics at a conference level. Take us through some of that. Like, how does one get in those spaces? Because you, I would say, you have pretty coveted career, because those aren't too shabby of spots you've made, Miss uh, Ellis Ford, along the way.
1: Well, I, I really do you know, give glory to God for just blessing me with really great opportunities and setting me up for, for this position that I'm in, because every position that I've had leading to this job, you can just see how it all weaves together and intersects to, for me to do this job um, at a high level. But I think for me, um, it started just with a passion, Uh, right to pursue a job that I wanted. And ironically, the opportunity to attend Ohio University, the founding institution of sports administration, you left that part out in my introduction, Kevin. Uh, uh, Again, just being part of that network was tremendous. Um, I would say 95% of the jobs that I've ever had have been because of that network. Um, It's just that intense and that incredible. Um, And even my first job at Michigan State, they called me to apply and interview. I didn't formally even know about the job. Uh, The same is true when the position came open with the WNBA in New York City. So just, again, being in the right spaces, knowing the right people, knowing the right places, and those people actually knowing your value and your work ethic to be able to put your name in the hat for certain opportunities that may not be formally posted. And I think that sometimes um, is an opportunity that people miss. It's not about necessarily working hard, even though that does matter and you have to have quality work, but people have to also be able to vouch for you, vouch for who you are as a person, your integrity, your work ethic, and all of that. So if people don't know who you are at a deep level, they can't put your name forward for positions. And I would just say, like I said, every stop that I've had, I've been in a position where people have put my name forward.
0: That's great. You talk about, you know, a little bit of maybe some of the college stops, but like you held some really positions that, you know, since joining the Pacers organization, you know, how did you actually acquire a position like that? Because it, from what I understand, that position was never created uh, until you're, you're the first person in the history of that organization to attain that. Congratulations, by the way. And I uh, would love to like, cause when people hear about how did so-and-so get that and how, and so, you know, how did this get, how did it come about? You know, talk to that person who's trying to come into a space where maybe there's not been history made yet. And what did you do in terms of training, um, you know, programming that you went through, you know, corporate. Initiatives you know that you've been able to to experience what what got you that opportunity?
1: Mm, that's a great question, Kevin. I think part of it is again, I have to lean back on my network. Um, this organization was working with a consultant at the time who used to be over the NCAA uh, deI efforts and then uh, when she parted ways from there she started her own company and uh, as they were working with her. Um, in their DE&I efforts, you know, it was determined that they needed someone to really lead this space for the organization. And so she just picked up the phone and called me and said, hey, you know, there's a great opportunity here. Uh, You know, I'm throwing your name in the hat uh, to be uh, in consideration for this role. But again, it just gets back to uh, having that individual know me well enough to put my name forward. And I do think, as I mentioned earlier, like, again, every stop along the way has really prepared me for that. Um, my first job at Michigan State, I did DE&I work, even though that wasn't a title or a, a well-known okay. you know, mantra. Um, so I did training there for um, our whole athletic department and other folks on campus because I um, did a train-the-trainer program and really tried to educate myself around some topics in the space. And really every job I had along the way, there was some element that I introduced to the role uh, because this work was important to me, whether it was starting an internship uh, specifically for um, women of color or people of color to um, making sure that we had a diverse pool of candidates if we were you know, interviewing for jobs. So it was just naturally integrated in other roles in different ways, even though I didn't necessarily have the formal title. But I will say, um, in addition to that, I consider myself a lifelong learner. So I you know, read a lot on subject matter. Uh, and I don't necessarily consider myself a subject matter expert because you can't know everything there is to know in this space because there's so many niches. But you have to stay abreast of what's important in the industry because it is very nimble uh, and things change. The space is different than it was a decade ago. Uh, and, and it's different than when I first started back in, when I, in my Michigan State days. So I would say that you really, really have to stay on top of your craft, um, be innovative, uh, be open to change. Um, because again, this is not a static profession
0: hmm. that's a good point, good point you know you you talk about you know things that are new um stand on top. What new trends do you think are going to impact organizations and and particularly the leaders of today uh in terms of the area in which you serve, which is you know d e i and how might that like really, uh, if they do um, understand what these trends and these new things that are coming, if they do understand that, how can that help and improve an organization? Because you, you probably have a different lens on what most people may not see in sports as it relates to DEI. So could you bring that out for us?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, some of the most, in my opinion, most obvious trends are just um, the aging demographics that are in the workplace right now. We've got, for the first time in history, five to six different generations working in the same workplace, and you just really never had that before. Um, So, you know, I think their generational differences are very much so, not only in sports, but, you know, every aspect of corporate America, people are experiencing some challenges there. So if if you are a leader in an organization and you're trying to get the best talent, you're going to have to be more nimble um, because what's important to Generation Z may not be um, relevant or important in, is at the same level as someone from my generation, for example. So just being cognizant of that um, and finding out ways to build those bridges internally so that you can maximize your own internal bottom line and innovations and uh, co- uh, company culture. I think another thing that will impact uh, is this continuation and the evolution of remote work. Um, we saw, you know, how that kind of during the period of COVID just impacted people, right? So people really got to look in the insides of people's homes for the first time. That was before people really mastered the uh, backgrounds and <laughs> in, in, uh, all of that. But you know, it, it, it opened up the door for people to see a different side of people. So I think now you're seeing people more so bringing, and I, I don't necessarily like this term, but you hear bringing your whole self or your authentic self to the workplace. Um, I think that is going to continue to evolve over time. Uh, I'm a huge advocate of not necessarily bringing your authentic self to the workplace, but your best self to the workplace. Because I tell people around here jokingly all the time, but, you know, tongue in cheek, in some seriousness you don't want to see my authentic self in the workplace i want to bring i want to bring the base best tracy uh to the pacers sports and entertainment organization as possible so i might have a little bit of a nuanced uh, approach to that
0: that that i think to tracy she's got a little step in her yes i've seen that person before so yes best tracy best tracy yes <laughs> I like uh, what you said. You you mentioned something which I don't know if people realize. I think it's real, real interesting. You mentioned was five generations. I've not heard that term before. Where, where can can you can you equate that? What does that mean for some people when they're saying? What did she say? I want I want to bring that out because that's a huge uh, aha opportunity for us. Uh, You know, whatever group you're in, especially if a younger person's working with an older person. Uh, et cetera, in sports, what, what does that mean? How can they help each other out or at least mm. you know, look at being uh, the best selves in whatever generation you fall on?
1: Right. Well, I think when you talk about culture in general, it's about your beliefs, values, and assumptions, right? So, um, someone from my parents' generation, per se, baby boomers, might not value technology the way that a Gen Z or Gen Y val- values technology, right? Um, I'm still—I consider myself a little old school. I would love a phone call versus a text, but there's a time and place for both, right? And so, how do you meld those two um, concepts together to maximize how you communicate in the workplace? Or you know, those—that's just one basic example. And I think all of this comes down to just communication. Like you have to get to know people. Um, do you prefer me to text you? Do you prefer me to call you? Do do you prefer me to text you before I call you? Right? So there's all these little, um, moves and, you know, learning really how to dance together well, um, to really advance, uh, your mission and vision of your company is really important. And that really just comes from having conversations and getting to know someone at a deeper level. Um, because if you don't trust someone, you're probably not going to produce the best product, um, or, you know, reach your sales goals or whatever. Of the the mantra is for the company in terms of what your outcomes need to be because you have to have teamwork and teamwork is optimal when you when you trust your teammates. So again, that happens just through communication, spending time together, and sometimes even having brave conversations. And you know, people call them courageous conversations, brave conversations, because we're all not going to ever get along, just like any family, you know, there's always a little bit of angst and there's always that auntie that rubs you the wrong way or that cousin who uh, might get on your last nerve some days, but you still love them, right? And so just figuring out how to come together as a work family uh, for a common good and a common goal to get things done. And the best way to do it is really starting with uh, assuming good intentions by the other person, and that will get you a long way.
0: I agree. I like that. Coming with like the best intentions and not coming holding back in a lot of ways to some degree. You know, we, we, I want to bring something from a little bit, um, past and you bring it forward for me. You know, we're in a post COVID era now. Um, we've experienced some, you know, societal changes around, um, issues as it relates, l- relates to things that you know have really changed our whole society as it relates to race, George Floyd, things of that nature. We've moved quite a bit uh, further along. What do you think, uh, or what do you feel we have to keep doing to make advances in sports and society as a whole?
1: Uh, we have to keep doing the hard stuff, Kevin. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I've even heard uh, within the past year, you know people feel like oh we've we're losing momentum like you'll hear those conversations sometimes from you know peers or or just people out in the community in in terms of the circles that I'm moving in. and so how do you lose momentum for social justice like that's what you know I sometimes have a hard time embracing but when when I hear people say that, it's like, well, did you have momentum from the start, or was it just this is the popular thing to do right now?" So I think that's really, for me, what's important is looking at the heart and the why of why certain organizations are doing what they're doing. And is it really sustainable? Like it's easy to get on the bandwagon of any concept um, at the beginning because everybody's doing it, right? Uh, But it's another thing to be sustainable. And so really being strategic about uh, your mission and vision in this space is key um, and holding your leaders accountable, right? Because it's not just a top down, Um, it's a bottom-up as well. So you've got to have people working and pushing at both ends of the spectrum uh, to have impact in this work. And so um, it takes a lot of resilience and it takes time. And I think people have to understand we didn't get here uh, in 2020 with George Floyd. We were here uh, fighting these battles when you look back at the things that Martin Luther King did and his predecessors before him, So this has been a nation that's been, we have a history that's attached in a negative way to Black people. And so we've got to really come to grips with that um, as a country and, and, and other you know immigrants that have come to this country. So we've got to really wrestle with our history and figure out a way to come together in a way that's going to be positive and move us forward, not backwards. And so when you have divisive conversations or people who don't want to talk about it, um, that sets the work back. So again, you've got to have people that are knowledgeable in the space and that have the fortitude and the support to keep going and pushing even when it gets hard.
0: Oh wow, very very comprehensive answer and a lot of good nuggets in there. What would you say um, is the biggest challenge for you know current DEI, particularly in sports at all the levels, as as women as men. As athletes, as coaches, as leaders, owners, fans.
1: Hmm, that's a great question. I, I think it depends on the organization because that's such a big swath. I, mm-hmm. I think for me, one of the biggest things that I see is just, um, and it saddens me to this, this to a lot, to a huge extent, is just like there's no room for civil discourse. It seems like, and for me, that's I think the biggest barrier of like getting beyond, okay, I'm in my corner, you're in your corner, and we can't meet anywhere in the middle. So I think mm-hmm. the inability uh, for people to be empathetic to someone else's uh, plight, um, people having the inability to really listen for understanding versus listening for judgment, um, I think are, are huge hurdles in this work. And again, You just have to keep pushing and doing the hard work and getting people to open up and listen. And for me, in this work, I think another barrier, and I know you've only asked me for one, but I think so many times people spend time working on the naysayers versus working Mm -hmm. on the people who are um, curious and want to change or the people Mm -hmm. that are already supporters. And so we can spend 90% of our time on the 5% of the people that are never going to get on board. And I've learned over the years that that's not a good use of my time. Um, so those people are going to be swayed perhaps by the other people who are being supportive and even the curious people who might come along. So um, I would say, you know, don't be discouraged by the naysayers or, or those negative uh, folks in the spaces like this is a waste of time. This will never work. You know, our country is what it is. Um, I just can't be in that camp uh, because I got too much work to do. And so I choose to stay positive and not, um, devote my time to that, that group.
0: Well, you know, I've been around lots of, and I'm changing up the questions, very good response. I'm, I'm wanting to think about those, you know, there are some young people who are out here wanting to make change and people as well, seasoned workers, you know, what, what do you say are characteristics for people who, um, who are effective in bringing about, um, that, that those values of you know diversity, equality, inclusion. What what do you what do you say if someone says I want to do more work in that area? What what are, what should they be doing? Or uh, as someone who is supportive of it, and then someone who actually wants to get into the profession, because we we understand that it's continuing to be an area of, of focus for some organizations, particularly in sport.
1: I think the more that you can learn about the language, um, the models, I mean, because there is a lot of um, of academic um, theory behind this work. And so people need to familiarize themselves with that. I, th- I think mm-hmm. sometimes when you look at some of these organizations who have hired folks in similar roles as mine and it doesn't work out, it's because they've assigned it to the one black or brown person that's in the office. Okay, now you're going to be in charge of D and i and that person really has no background or skill set to push the work forward. So you have Uh to be knowledgeable about the terminology um, about lots of different things in the space. So that's number one. I think the second thing is to recognize your own personal biases because that can hinder the work, right? When you're not uh, Uh self-aware about the things that you get hung up about and and being able to manage that uh, in a way that it doesn't manifest itself in a negative way to bring other people along in the work and within your organization. So those are the two things that I would say are, are the most important.
0: That's great. I want to talk about when you started with the Pacers you, you mentioned, or maybe I've said over the course of your career, you, you've, you have you know welcome roles that are first in the organization. I think I mentioned that and, and I'm excited, you know, you, you're leading this new area and you're basically a trailblazer for women in a sense here. You know, what does it mean um, being first and how are you, I would say, hopefully shaping the path for those who will come after you?
1: Well, that's a huge legacy question, Kevin. <laughs> and I would say I don't necessarily know
0: no, yeah. <laughs> what that's yeah. going to look like
1: but I do believe like this is part of my makeup. It's part of my DNA. I love, you know, every job that I've ever had is either I've been the first in the role or I've been hired to fix something that was broken at an organization. And so for whatever reason, uh, my set just lends itself to being in that kind of work And this place right here, uh, where I am right now is no different. Again, I'm like you said, I'm a trailblazer, the first person in this role. So what I'm, focus on right now is just really building a team, uh, helping us develop and implement a strategic blueprint uh, for the company and making sure that the D, E, and I lens is on every facet of our company, um, whether it's hiring, whether it's ticket sales, whether it's marketing um, and just really trying to get beyond uh, what most people think D, E, and I is, is just hiring, right? It's much more mm-hmm. than that. Um, including we've got a really great supplier diversity program here where we really try to engage um, XBEs and have economic impact uh, in communities of color and with women and uh, different groups. So, again, it's really holistic. And if you're in this work uh, just about hiring more black and brown people, um, you're doing the work a disservice. It it really needs to be a holistic approach uh, about how you transform your organization.
0: Mm, that's very well said. Because it is a misconception that it's about putting certain people, etc. It's a, a its an entire strategy that mm-hmm. I think adds innovation to right. your business uh, to add different people. So let's, or, or to your staff or to your organization. You know, we, we, you're, you're someone I would consider. You know, has done and experienced a lot. You know, as a, you know you've taken a lot of risk. You've had to, you've not had it easy, you know, as a woman, as a mother, you know, and this is a women in sports question here, you know, what would you say to other women who are afraid to take these moves and take these leaps that you have? I mean, you've gone East Coast, West Coast, and back to the East Coast and Midwest. Like, so you're like a, a little bit of a globe trotter. but with those, you've been... A wife, You've been a mother and had, you know, career changes and there are people who want to do that, but they just can't seem to move in that space. And they say, oh, Mm. I I may not be able to do it because I'm not a man. Like, let's let's talk a little Mm. bit about how you've gotten over that.
1: Well, I don't think I ever thought that I couldn't (laughs) do Uh it. I just think it's, it's very important, though, that you have to have a supportive partner uh, to behind you when you're making these moves. Because if I didn't, I probably wouldn't have made the moves that I, that I have made, you know, from cross country and back uh, multiple times. So, so that matters. Um, I do uh, recognize that the age of your kids sometimes matter, particularly if you're a mom. You know, again, when I was making moves early in my career, my children were a lot younger. And so um, I think having the opportunity for them to be nimble when they're younger, you know, I think kids are more that, adap- you know, moldable and adaptable when they're younger versus when they're perhaps high school age, right. Because they want to be planted in the same school and perhaps graduate with their classmates and that kind of thing. So I was very conscious when I, um, when my son was, I think, seventh grade, I made an intentional decision to stay in one place until he graduated from high school, because I knew that another move before that would probably be too disruptive based on how old he was. So again, there's a lot of different factors that go into it. And it's got to be a family decision, you know, depending on uh, what your situation is, and you have to think through it all. And even um, if you're fearful and your heart is telling you to do it. My advice would be to take the leap. You know, what is it going to hurt? Like if it doesn't work out, there's always going to be another opportunity. Um, and the more you stretch yourself, uh, the better leader that you're going to be.
0: Very good. Tracy, what's a common misconception you've heard or experienced about being a working woman and a mother in sports?
1: Mm. I think a, one common misperception mis, mis, uh, is uh, we won't work as hard because we're moms, right? You know, uh, and sports is, as you know, is not a nine to five. So, you know, there's sometimes apprehension from male leaders uh, to hire women. Um, and sometimes even younger women before they start having families. Right. Cause you, I mean, and I've heard it from people that I've worked with before. Well, you know, we can't hire X, Y, and Z because she's getting ready to have a baby. Well, what does that have to do with anything? Like, that would be a great role model for the athletes to see a woman, you know, carrying out her career and balancing, you know, parenting at the same time. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. men don't necessarily have to choose, right? So I just think as time has gone on, uh, most organizations, and I would say particularly in sports, it's become uh, more acceptable uh, for people. But there's some, you know, when you look back you know, in the early '80s, you didn't see as many women in leadership roles, so it was harder. So I do think that um, other women before me have have blazed a trail and made this more um, amenable for women and working moms. I know when I was at Michigan State, you know, my little ones were running around the track when the volleyball games were going around. So and you know they weren't going to go anywhere, but you know I knew that they were there and I had a job to do, but also I knew that I had to spend time with them, and it was great for them to see me doing. The things that I needed to do to contribute to the family um, income. And so I think exposing children to the realities of it's okay to have a mom that's working in a maybe a non traditional role or male dominated role because um, we bring different things to the table and um, people have to accept it. And we're just living in a, a much different time now. And I'm thankful for that. But I would say, you know, don't be deterred by a working mom. Um, because I mean, now we have, you know, just different relationships and sometimes there's two dads, two moms and people still have kids. So Mm -hmm. don't, you can't like pigeonhole, uh, parents in any way, shape or form in terms of what they can bring to a position.
0: How do you think organizations can do even a better job, you know, uplifting women in, in the workplace that, that you know of?
1: I think it's just being um, really honest in, um communicating what the expectations are. Um, sometimes they're unwritten expectations, you know, particularly mm. when it comes to the hours that need to be invested. Like I said, particularly when you're working in sports. So if you need to go pick up Johnny um, on Wednesdays at five like your boss needs to know that that's a hard out for you, right? That you're not Mm going to be there, you know, at seven, eight o'clock, because this is a commitment that you have for your family. But yet, and still, that doesn't mean that you can't get your your job done in that week, right? So just being really transparent, I think uh, about what your needs are to have a really great work-life integration. And I don't call it work-life balance. I call it work-life integration because that's what it is. (laughs) Mm Because some days you're going to do one better than the other. Um, I think the other thing that companies can do is just really think internally about what um, resources that they're offering employees, right? So there's so many different benefits that that companies have gotten more and more creative about. Um, You know, back in the day, they didn't even have like lactation stations in offices, right? So now if you are a new mom and you choose to nurse, you can still continue to do that uh, by going back to the workforce because there's a private space provided. Right. So just little things like that um, and making sure that um, th- that there's no um, barriers to women actually being in your company. Right. So that you can meet the needs.
0: Mm, that's great. What would you say are some of the things that uh, or some of the things or ways leaders and their organizations can do a better Job to understand how women and girls, you know, experience sport, and on top of that, support them to stay in sport, whether they're a fan, whether they're uh, employee or an athlete.
1: Hmm. Well, I, I mean, I think part of it is um, people understanding that most women control uh, the. Um, disposable income uh, in a family. (laughs) So that's one. So there's a financial benefit to making sure that you're engaging that demographic. Um, I think the other part in terms of making sure that girls are still involved, I think it's encouraging that participation. And it's so much data out there around health and fitness and the benefit for girls and women um, that is different than boys coming up. Um, Just the whole confidence factor, the whole notion of teamwork, um, you know, again, I think I read some study a while back where they looked at just different Fortune 500 women um, in leadership roles and how many of them played sports growing up, right? So there's definitely a correlation into some of the life skills that you actually learn from participating in sports. Um, and, and there's so many things to choose from now. And I think that's the beauty of uh, participation and the value of Title IX and, and that whole history. Um, I never heard of crew coming up right you know coming from mm-hmm. the midwest but um you know golf was not part of my upbringing but there's so many ways that girls can get engaged uh, other than just basketball volleyball and softball and so just letting them explore um their that side of who they are and if nothing else um get engaged just to be fit right because obesity is a huge problem uh in our young people so just finding ways to stay active, uh, whether it's bike riding, swimming. Again, like I said, there's so much out there to get involved in. And I think parents sometimes uh, are not aware. And we've moved to such this digital space of, OK, it's, it's about gaming. We're online and social media. So it's so much easier now to be more sedentary than being active. So um, I would just encourage parents to make sure that their kids are active.
0: Particularly I know. their girls. Yes, and mine are uh, active, so I'm I'm one of those parents that certainly made sure that we were doing something. Period. Whether it's art, whether it's an instrument, whether it's you know participation in sports and extracurricular, extracurricular, extracurricular. (laughs) Definitely Mm -hmm. got people busy. I was
1: one of those same parents. I was like, "You're going to do something after school. I don't care what it is, but you're not coming home after school."
0: And I think you know it's hard because now you know you've got devices that uh, and you've got you know things like social media, but I still think there's a a part of us that has to stay active and then really exercise another part of ourselves that if we never tap into, it can never be discovered, and sometimes you know you you see someone who could possibly do something if they would, you know, challenge themselves in some sense. So I I think it's real important what you just said about just creating those experiences um, at a young age, too.
1: Yeah. And it really also, I mean, in some ways, you know, I'm no doctor by any means, but like just the overall fitness and well-being and exercise, it just releases all those endorphins and things that you just can't get from like being on your iPad. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's an important attribute to the whole mental uh, wellness and mental uh, stability of our young people. So that's just another important factor.
0: I agree. I agree. You know, you've really just joined the organization. We're not going to put a lot of pressure on you. There's tons of programming (laughs) and intentional initiatives. Uh, I'm sure you're you're doing recently. (laughs) I I know Women's Month just passed. Um, Did you attend anything or did your organization? you know, do things that would sort of indicate something different that hasn't happened in the past or what you're trying to bring in the future?
1: Yeah, I, um, well, since I've been here, we've been activating a lot around the various heritage months. And for Women's History Month, uh, we we uh, put up educational signage and notes all, we have three different buildings. And so we have those um, in, the, in the different buildings and highlighting, you know, either some local folks or national figures and just little snippets on, you know, uh, women and honoring women in different capacities in different industries. So we, we did that during women's history month. We also had, um, um, trivia, believe it or not at all of our, our, um, home games, um, the Pacer Mm -hmm. Pacer home games in March. So, you know, one of my strategies, uh, when you talked about a strategy earlier is also trying to figure out ways to infuse, you know, education, um, or education, Right in um in the game and so we uh you know we did the same similar thing for black history month and just different like as a different heritage month so we'll infuse a trivia question you know on the um center hung jumbotron uh for every game and so uh we'll have something in our um game program around roman's history month just talking about the history of it so we're trying just different ways to reach people whether it's internally our fan base or externally and then I participated in a couple local um, organizations that had some various panels and special things that were happening in the community for Women's History Month.
0: I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about how important a coach's roles are in the work that you do. Talk to us about if there are coaches who just may um, need a little bit more perspective on how valuable, particularly because we're the Institute of Coaching Excellence here. And I know there's an aspect about what we're, doing to advance the industry. Uh, and this area here, it may it could lead to better performance. I mean, I think there's some thoughts that you might have to add to that. What do you what do, what would you say to the coaches who are sort of maybe on the fence or may be looking for it, but what can I do or what should I be doing?
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the, the the easiest things that you can do is to make sure that your players and your staff uh know who you are, what your value system is, and that you know what their value system is right so um if there is disagreements or um things that may not always go smoothly, that you can always come together and have a um a brave conversation about things and the more that you know about your players and the staff, the easier those conversations are um you know I don't know if you've probably been following all the the hoopla from the women's final four and just the different dynamics that were happening around players who were making certain gestures uh, you know, one the Iowa player versus the LSU player, just the whole media dynamic on how each one of those were was portrayed. Again, that's in itself a whole workshop <laughs> of, you know, how the perception of women And trash talk is portrayed in sports versus how perhaps a black woman uh, demonstrates trash talk versus a Caucasian player who demonstrates trash talk and just like the the dynamics of that. So when people say, um, you know, race doesn't matter, like there's so many layers and the intricacies of how things get portrayed in the media. Um, again, it's just another level of education that coaches can engage in and have, again, like I said, some brave conversations and just say, Hey, what did you think about that? Right? You know, what did you think about that? You know, um, because some, something's happening every week in the media that gives you an opportunity and to open the door just to have a conversation. And I know sometimes it's hard between practice and film and working out and weights and travel. But you've got to take time to really sometimes go deeper um, with your staff and with your with your players uh, to make sure that those connections exist.
0: And I agree, Tracy, because the organizations that I've been involved in who have taken some of those brave steps, they have been um, able to see results, mm-hmm. um, meaning their performance has led to championships. I'm very, yeah. very convinced that coaches play a huge role, uh, administration and staff and modeling, um, those behaviors that they'd like to see, uh, in their organizations to bring to me, higher level performance overall. It's not just on the Mm -hmm. field, but even in the people who work day to day with each other, can we have more trust? Can we build more camaraderie? Uh, and can we have more, you know, Understanding so we can get to what we need to do as a organization quicker, faster, better together. And I think that's a huge part of how the work that you're doing to me will, you know, lead to higher levels of uh, performance across all variables in the business. Like you had mentioned, it's not just a, a color thing. It's, you know, performance and metrics and And spending and things of that nature and resources and allocation of time.
1: Yeah, for sure. And if trust is not there, it's going to you're going to have a hard time moving the needle forward in any area, even if it's just winning games. Even if you take de and I off the table, uh, if you don't have a culture of trust uh, with your team, I I would venture to say you're not going to go you're not going to be very successful as a coach.
0: Awesome. Well, we now move to the exciting part of our program. Get your popcorns, ladies and gentlemen. We have Tracy roll, in the speed round. Are you ready? What's your favorite inspirational quote? If you have one.
1: I would say many hands make for light work.
0: Oh, wow. Polka dots or stripes.
1: That's all day long.
0: <laughs> what would you rather own the record for? Most points scored or most championships?
1: Most championships.
0: What were you afraid of as a child?
1: I was afraid of the dark and still am.
0: (laughs) How would you rate your karaoke skills on a scale of one to Mariah Carey?
1: Negative one.
0: The title of the last book you read?
1: Hmm. I think the last book I read was The Eight Paradoxes of Leadership by uh, Tim Elmore.
0: Mm, very scholarly. Ooh, my goodness. I got to write that down. Favorite place to vacation?
1: Aruba, hands down.
0: Mm, Aruba. Okay, I got to put that on the list. What inspires you or who inspires you?
1: What inspires me? There's a lot of things that inspire me, but right now I would say when I have worked really hard to do something for the first time and like bring people along, and then the light bulb comes on and like, oh, I get why we're doing this. Like that, that inspires me.
0: That's awesome. Would you rather get paid a lot to be on a bad team or paid below average to be on an elite
1: team? Ooh, that's a hard question. Mm-hmm. Winning is fun. But if I had a lot of money, I could use it to have fun. <laughs>
0: that's
1: a tie. Tie.
0: Oh. <laughs> Our first tie, ladies and gentlemen. And We've never had that before on his show. <laughs> What is your go-to lazy dinner? Oh,
1: my go-to lazy dinner. I would probably say tuna fish sandwich.
0: Okay. That definitely is lazy. (laughs) Name (laughs) one item off your bucket list that you still have to complete.
1: Oh, I really want to get my PhD, and I want to go to Paris in the summer.
0: Wow. Those are big.
1: I've gone to Paris in the winter, but I want to go back in the summer.
0: All right. Well- We're coming to the end to this show. Should we be on the lookout for anything special that you're bringing forth in the future? Any special projects you're involved in, books you're writing, podcasts besides this one, anything from you in the future? And we want to consume and support you too. So let us know how to stay in touch. What should we be looking forward to? Well,
1: I would say, you know, uh, here as an organization, uh, we're hosting All-Star in 2024. So uh, be on the lookout for... uh, um, that NBA All Star is going to be in Indianapolis in next February. Um, awesome!
0: I would say, I'll
1: be there. Yeah, you'll be there. I would say just to champion things. I'm I, I'm debating on whether or not I'm going to get more engaged with uh, LinkedIn because I do see people posting a lot of um, really useful things on there. I just got to get committed, like you are, Kevin, with doing a regular cadence of of uh, posting. And so just supporting me on LinkedIn when you see things and it's just my name, uh, Tracy Ellis So I'm very easy to find. I need to boost up my social media followers. I have like two people on Instagram, so if you want to follow me, feel free.
0: Well, I'm one of the two I'm one of the two. So you, my two. I, you already got my support. Yeah, I might I be do. up to
1: ten. Might be up to ten. But I gotta improve my social media. So I think you know, the more people that follow me, the the more pressure I will feel to actually uh, post things of relevance, right? And you know, some fun stuff, but of relevance. But that's yes. about it. I'm not don't have any books coming out. Um, not cutting any albums. You know, not dropping any uh, poetry slams. You know, nothing like that coming up. But just trying to do this work here and stay motivated to do it well.
0: That's awesome. Listen, Tracy, we could go on and on, we could get into some other stuff, but I definitely want you to leave our audience with a final word on how can we support this effort that you're trying to do in sport and entertainment to make it much more of an inclusive place with much more equity and, and diversity to ensure its success. For the future, what would you say we all need to be considering and doing to improve as coaches, et cetera, students, fans, et cetera, society?
1: I would say use your voice. I think the thing that saddens me the most is when people see injustice and don't speak up um, and be part of the solution. So, um, because of that, in our history, many people have suffered. You know, many um, people have been killed because of silence, right? Um, and so use your voice. Uh, we all have a platform uh, within our own families, you know, in our own churches, you know, on our bowling teams, or whatever little circle that you have, use your voice to amplify doing the right thing. Um, and there's civil discourse that can be had, but if you have your mouth closed, it can't happen.
0: Awesome words, and in closing, we thank you, thank you, thank you, Tracy Ellis Ward. Of the Indiana Pacers for being on the Hit Show today and with us at the University of Florida Institute for Coaching Excellence, we'd love to stay in touch with you. We're going to support you and on social media everywhere. Please like, support anything Tracy's doing. She's an amazing person and human being. The Hit Show should be on everybody's list to have a saved, download, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, because you're learning things um, that sometimes are, are hidden and now we've really brought them out and we wanna continue to do that. Uh, and it's really through this skill of transitions, hearing Tracy's many transition and something you can build upon. So in closing, we thank you. And we also thank um, this platform on Athletes Puts Network and the Institute of Coaching Excellence at the College of Health and Human Performance at UF. I'm Kevin Carr, host of this SIT Show. And I don't close without saying you, been on the hit show and you've heard our guest which is Tracy Ellis Ward and Tracy we want to thank you once again if you could say thank you for being on the hit show take it away Tracy
1: thank you thank you Kevin Carr for being on the hit show All
0: right, we thank you Tracy I'm Kevin Carr you listen to Tracy Ellis Ward and her many successful transitions thank you Tracy
1: alrighty thank you This podcast is a production of Athlete Plus, the people, stories, and science behind elite athletes and teams. Athlete Plus is the official podcast network of the Institute for Coaching Excellence, a research, education, and outreach center in the College of Health and Human Performance at the University of Florida. The Institute for Coaching Excellence offers various online certificate programs and degrees in partnership with the Department of Sport Management.
0: Learn more today at coaching.hhp.ufl.edu.